Welcome to the Talking Immigration Podcast. Immigration is a complex issue. Most of us have strong emotions, but don't actually know the details of how immigration actually works. In this podcast, I interview immigration experts to teach us about the types of immigration, limits, costs, enforcement, and more. I'm Katarina, your host. Let's talk immigration. Today, we are talking with Martha Laura Garcia, a supervising immigration attorney with the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Will you share a little bit about your experience in immigration? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I have been practicing immigration law for three years. I graduated from Loyola University School of Law, and I moved out to Albuquerque right after that to start this this job. And I got into immigration law out of my own personal experience as an immigrant and just wanting to be able to give back to my community and receive the same type of assistance that I did when, when I needed it. Thank you for being with us, Laura. Many of our previous episodes have focused on how someone might legally immigrate and obtain a visa or a green card to live or work in the U.S. And so what I'd like to talk about in this episode is that process from visa or green card to citizenship. So first, can someone who is undocumented immediately apply for citizenship? Or would you describe the general process of someone who is undocumented getting to the point of being able to apply for citizenship? Of course. Someone who is undocumented cannot go straight to the citizenship application. Generally, Um, A person must have some type of non-immigrant visa, which is a type of visa that that allows you to live and work in the U.S., so not a tourist visa. And once you've had that visa, you can then apply to become a legal permanent resident, which is essentially a green card holder. And then after that, you can apply to become a citizen. So once someone has been granted a visa, whether through family or work or asylum or lottery, Do all visa holders have that option to eventually apply for citizenship? You mentioned it has to be a non-immigrant visa, but could you maybe go a little more into that and maybe explain the difference between a visa and a green card? Sure. So generally speaking, people who have green cards or who are legal permanent residents should be able to apply to citizenship. There are some exceptions, um, but generally speaking, yes, that's, that's the normal process. So like I mentioned before, having a visa is what then allows you to become a legal permanent resident. And so some examples are like a U visa for crime victims, having asylum, being a refugee, having a family-based visa. For example, if you married a citizen or if you have a sibling who, who was somehow able to apply for that visa for you, that would be the route to getting a visa. So a visa to, to live in the U.S. and be here working. So it starts with a visa generally. And then after X amount of time, I assume depending on the type of visa, you can apply for your green card or permanent residency. Yes, that's correct. Okay. The waiting times in between visa and green card vary depending on the type of visa that you have. At what point does someone get a social security card? I assume it's not when they have a visa or is it when they get a green card or maybe not until citizenship? I guess I'm kind of curious about the implications of having a social security card as it might apply to paying taxes, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's a really common question. And so 
Actually, um, a person doesn't need to necessarily be documented in the sense of having a visa to be assigned a social security number or be granted a social security card. Usually the social security number comes once that person is able to get a work permit or an employment authorization document. And there's lots of ways to get that document or it's kind of like an ID card. So for example, people can get it if they have if they came to the US to request asylum, they filed their asylum application and it's, you know, still in process. If 180 days have passed, they're able to apply for a work permit and they get they automatically get their social security card when they apply for the work permit once it's approved. Or for example, people who have DACA, they have work authorization cards and social security cards. So the social security number is more linked to you being able to lawfully work in the U.S. than your actual immigration status in the U.S. Interesting. And so as soon as you would get that, that's when someone would pay taxes that they have to file. Anyone who would have that work authorization, that becomes automatic through that number. No, actually. So anyone who is in the U.S., um, regardless of immigration status, has a duty to pay taxes. And the exceptions to that rule are more linked to the income that person has than to their immigration status. So, for example, if you don't have an income or you make below a certain amount that the federal government has specified, then you don't have that duty to pay taxes. But if you make more than that, that's when that duty arises. And so if you have a social security number, that's the number you use when you file taxes. But there's also another number that you can apply for if, for whatever reason, you're undocumented, maybe you're a student, or maybe your immigration status is one that doesn't allow you to get a work permit and get that social security number, you can request what's called an individual tax identification number, or ITIN. And that's very similar to a social security number, but you can only use it for the purpose of filing taxes. And that way, Instead of leaving the social security space blank or putting just like a bunch of zeros, that's an ITIN number that will be assigned to you. Ah, I love it when people correct misconceptions because (laughs) I didn't know that. Is there a limit to the number of green card holders that can become citizens or is it an unlimited category? Yeah, so it's, it's unlimited, which is different from a lot of the other type of immigration processes or visas, lots of time there are limits, which is why it takes so long. And you hear stories of people waiting 20 years to get a green card because of those limits. But when it comes to citizenship, there is no limit. And there's really, I haven't heard of any talk about the government trying to restrict that. Is there a set amount of time that it would take someone with a green card to be able to apply for citizenship? Yes. So generally speaking, a person has to have a green card for at least five years before they can initiate the citizenship process. And the only exception there is if you got your green card through marriage to a U.S. citizen, then the wait time is only three years. Can you talk a little bit about the formal process and requirements to apply for citizenship? If you already have obtained your green card, so you've, I'm sure, proven that you Mm -hmm. have the right connections, either through family or work, what are those next steps from green card to citizenship? Yeah, of course. So there are 
five uh, major steps. They have smaller steps um, in between, but the five main steps are to, first of all, uh, fill out the citizenship application. And it's a pretty lengthy application. It's 20 pages long, and it asks for a lot of information about where you've lived, where you've worked, criminal history, all of that. So it can take some people some time to be able to gather all of that information if they haven't been actively storing it or writing it down somewhere. So number one, fill out the application. Number two is to send in the application. And so with that, you send the application, you send payment, and you send a copy of your green card. And sometimes there's other documents you send. For example, if you've had any um, arrests or convictions, or maybe you've gotten divorced or you changed your name, those could be some other documents you send in, but generally it's just the application payment and a copy of your green card. Once you send that in, which you can file by mail or fill out online, you will have to attend a biometrics appointment. And that's something that anyone who's applying for any type of benefit before U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has to do. So it's not just for citizenship, but that's basically an appointment where they will take your picture. And that's a picture that will eventually be on your citizenship certificate. And they will do they will take your fingerprints. And that's basically an FBI background check just to make sure that you you don't have any outstanding warrants or anything that might prevent you from continuing with the application. And so once you do that, uh, the next, the fourth step is to attend an in-person interview. And so that will be before a U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Officer. During that interview, they will review your whole application with you, make sure that your answers in person are consistent with the answers you provided on the application. At that interview, you will also be asked to take an English test, which is, at this point, it's just an oral test. They'll ask you a question, for example, who lives in the White House, and you answer it. And maybe they'll ask you to write the answer, and that's like the written portion of the test. And at that interview, you will also take the history and civics test, and that is also oral. So the officer will be reading out questions, and you will respond. And the fifth and final step is to attend the oath ceremony. You turn in your green card, so that's an exciting moment. And then in return, you'll get your citizenship certificate, and they give you this whole packet that has an application for a passport. I think it has a Declaration of Independence and some other pamphlets inside. And they'll call your everyone's name individually uh, to finally swear you in as a citizen. And I do want to kind of circle back to the fourth step, which is the interview. So everyone has the opportunity to present two interviews or to go to two interviews. So if at that first interview, you maybe didn't pass the test or you forgot a document that the officer is asking you for, they're not going to deny your application then and there. They'll give you a chance to come to a second interview before they, they decide whether they're going to let you move forward or not. And I have two questions about that process. Mm -hmm. So English is a requirement for any person who is going to become a citizen. Or are there any exceptions to that? There are three, maybe four exceptions. So the first exception or exemption to the language requirements is what we call the 50-20 exception. So that means that the applicant is at least 50 years old and has been 
a legal permanent resident for at least 20 years. So that will allow them to do the whole interview in Spanish. They still have to take the history and civics test, but they're able to take that in their native language and they don't even have to worry about the English test. And so you could be a legal permanent resident for any number of years and you could you could never expire the opportunity to apply for citizenship. Is yeah, that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second exception is the 5515, which like the previous one, the applicant has to be at least 55 years old and has to have been a legal permanent resident for at least 15 years. The third exemption is the 6520. And this one's a little bit different. Um, you need to be 65 years old and have been a resident for at least 20 years. And in addition to being able to to do the whole interview in your native language, you will also be able to present a simplified exam, a simplified history exam. So instead of studying 100 questions and having to answer 11 out of 20 questions correctly at the interview, you only have to study 20 questions and you only have to get six out of 10 correct at the interview. Okay. And so that history and civics exam, is a, it's 100 questions and you have to get at least what did you say? How many? Correct. 11. 11 of the 100? Um, of 20. So at the interview, the officer will ask you 20 questions. And as long as you get more than 50% correct, you that's considered passing. So in terms of number of questions, that comes down to 11. I see. But there are 100 that could potentially be asked and you just don't know which 20 you will be asked. Right. So you have to study all of them. Sure. Got you. And I, I'm sure there are links where we could find what those questions are online. Is that correct? Or yeah. is it? No, there's definitely links. Um, you, I, my favorite are the YouTube videos because you can just listen to them and people like record themselves just reading off the questions and answer and reading off the answers. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to study for those tests. And even and in most cases, when you go to your biometrics appointment, the officers there will actually give you study materials for free. Well, that's great. How much does it cost to become a citizen? You mentioned payment as mm-hmm. part of that second step. And then does the biometrics appointment cost? Would you review what the costs are? Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually a really interesting question right now because we're kind of in a transition process. Currently, the cost is $725 for the application and that $725 includes the $85 biometrics fee. Um, okay. And so that that's the whole cost. You can pay it. It all needs to be paid at the time you file your application. Uh, what's changing is that starting October 2nd of this year, 2020, the fee is set to increase to 1245 and that includes the biometric fee. So that's a pretty big jump from before, um, which is why I think right now lots of people are trying to get their applications in. Sure. But aside from that, currently there are also some opportunities or some, I would say, exceptions to to the payment. So if the applicant is low income, they can request a fee waiver. And of course, they'll have to submit evidence showing that, you know, what their income is and that they are in fact low income in order for their fee waiver to be approved. And then for citizenship specifically, there's also a reduced fee, which is $405. And that's 
that's basically for people that aren't exactly low income as defined by the federal government, but they're still below a certain percent of the federal poverty guidelines. And so the government will allow them to pay less than the full fee in order to submit their citizenship application. Is there an average time this whole process takes? So yes and and no. It really varies state to state. For the most part, states have at least one U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Office, and depending on the demand of people within that area is how long a process might take. For example, here in Albuquerque specifically, or in New Mexico, I should say, the process can take six months to over a year. And it just really depends on the capacity of the officers there. Um, For example, right now with COVID, it's of course taking a little bit longer because they had to pause interviews for a while. And now they've just started back up and they're starting to do drive-through oath ceremonies, which is great. Um, But generally, yeah, six months to a year, a little bit over a year. And do you have any sense of how that compares to other states? Yes, I think that Albuquerque is one of the fastest, or New New Mexico. I keep saying Albuquerque because the office is in Albuquerque. But um, I think that the office here is one of the offices with the least amount of wait time, just because New Mexico's population is less than other states. Um, Yeah, I know that places like Chicago or L.A., New York, it can take a lot longer. Why would someone be rejected for citizenship? Oh, there are many reasons. Um, A common one is if the person fails the English or the civics test. And that doesn't really have any negative consequences. Like I said before, you get that second opportunity at an interview or maybe at that point you pass it. And if you don't, it's really kind of like no harm, no foul. The officer will just tell you, you know, try again in a month or try again whenever you feel ready and you feel that you're able to pass these tests. And you're still a legal permanent resident. That doesn't change your status at all. But there are some other reasons that your application could be denied. And those other reasons could potentially have more serious implications, such as losing your green card and maybe even being deported. And those reasons, for the most part, are tied to certain types of criminal convictions, perjury. Maybe you lied on an application. Maybe there was inconsistent information between, for example, your green card application and your citizenship application, or you left out some information between the two. Another reason is sometimes a person becomes a legal permanent resident, and maybe there was a fluke in the system, maybe they didn't catch it, but that person was never actually eligible to become a green card holder. And so at the citizenship stage, they kind of review all of that. And if they see that you weren't supposed to get your green card in the first place, that's also um, a reason for them to deny your citizenship. Is that common? I don't know. It's not very common. I think the most common reasons are like failing the English or civics test. The other reasons aren't that common. And I I think there it's, it's really crucial to talk to an immigration lawyer because they'll be able to tell you, for example, oh, you have three DWIs in the last five years. Maybe wait a few years or oh, you have this in your history, let's wait until something changes in the laws or a policy change. Can you apply any number of times? Like, for example, you mentioned if you fail the test, Mm -hmm. you might be able to retake it. I assume you have to start that process all over with 
a new payment. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, you, you are able to, to apply as many times. Generally speaking, of course, you're able to apply as many times as it takes. When it comes to reapplying because you failed the English or the civics test, you can reapply as soon as the next day and you, you would have to restart the process. There are some reasons where, or there are some situations where the officer might tell you, you know, you have this recent criminal charge. I am letting you know that you have to wait three years or four years before you can apply again. And in those situations, the officer will, will give the applicant like an official letter stating the reason that the application was denied and if they have to wait and how long they would have to wait before they can reapply. And once all that process is complete, once the oath ceremony has taken place, then someone can apply to vote immediately and obtain any other number of benefits, federal benefits that any citizen could have. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Back in the days before COVID, when we had in-person oath ceremonies with like 200 plus people, there would actually be tables set up around the the oath ceremony area where as soon as you took your oath, you could go over and register to vote. So that was really exciting to see the people walking over with their brand new certificate registering to vote. But yes, as soon as you take that oath, you can get a passport, you can register to vote, um, you can update your status with the Social Security Administration to let them know that you're a citizen and have access to lots of other benefits that you might not have had access to before. Does the U.S. allow people to have dual citizenship? Sometimes. So what it really comes down to is the agreement that the U.S. government has with that other country. For example, there are a lot of countries that allow dual citizenship with which the U.S. kind of has that agreement. So like Mexico, a lot of EU countries and and the European Union, they do allow dual citizenship. Other countries... For example, I know the Philippines, you do have to give up uh, your your nationality or your citizenship to that other country if you want to become a U.S. citizen. So it just really varies country to country. I think for the most part, um, the U.S. has agreements with other countries to allow dual citizenship. Why do some people not apply for citizenship at that point that they would be eligible? Yeah, so I think, the at least in my experience, the most common reason is because they don't feel that they know English well enough to pass those tests or to be able to to go to their interview and speak in English and review their whole application in English. So I think that's one major barrier, especially for for green card holders who might, you know, be a little bit older, maybe they came to the US more recently and and they just don't feel like they have those skills. Other less common reasons are if they have something in their either criminal or immigration background that might prevent them from applying at a certain time, and they just have to wait until that's a little bit further behind in their in their history so that it won't affect them as much when they apply for citizenship. Can earned citizenship from a visa holder ever be taken away? Yes. It's not common. I don't think that happens very often, but yes. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about um, criminal histories and immigration histories, and that's one of the reasons that a person could lose their citizenship. Um, If there are certain types of really serious, heinous crimes that would allow the government to, to revoke citizenship. Like I said, it's not very common. 
but it does happen. Are there any other major misconceptions about somebody becoming a citizen that you feel like we should address? I don't know if this is a misconception, but in my experience, people really want to become citizens and get really bummed out when they realize that they might not be able to pass the English test or maybe they, you know, their memory isn't what it used to be and they're having trouble memorizing all the answers to the 100 questions. But I think generally speaking, people are really interested in being able to to get citizenship, especially because it brings more security to their family. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for spending this time with us talking immigration and busting some myths, some things (laughs) that I thought I knew the answer to but didn't. Where can someone learn more about you and or your organization? Our organization, the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center, we have a website. It's www.nmilc.org. You can hear about all of the different types of work we're doing there. And there's also links to our social media accounts and other resources for immigrants. It's specifically tailored to New Mexico, but you can also find general information about immigration on on our website. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Immigration. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with family or friends and leaving a rating or review so more people can learn about this important issue. Have a great week, everyone, and let's keep talking immigration.